0: Mamas Podcast. We're two modern mamas with the goal to inspire, empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of
1: Whole Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. It is Jess here and I have... A really, really special guest. I say that almost about every single guest that we have on. I mean, I really do. But this one is highly anticipated. We have Dr. Alana Rumel. Am I saying your last name right? Yes, you are. Good okay. job. Welcome to the podcast, friends.
2: Hey, thank you so much. You know, this is such an honor to be on your podcast because you know, Steph and I. So we host Home Mamas podcast, Mm -hmm. and so I think our audience is very similar. We share a lot of the same listeners, and so we obviously love to listen to your podcast. I'm sure just as much as you love to listen
1: to ours. So this is just so fun to be a guest on your podcast. So it's really an honor to be here. Thank you. I am so excited, and I agree 100%. It's it's kind of, you know. It almost seems like everybody and their mom, <laughs> no pun intended, is like doing a <laughs> podcast, but at the same time, I really feel like this community of, you know mama- focused podcasts is actually a lot smaller than you really realize. And same to you guys, you guys are doing wonderful work. Love the topics that you guys bring, and it's just it's amazing to have you on and bring your expertise to our little niche over here. Well,
2: thanks. We're all about collaboration. Yes. We don't really believe in competition much because there's so much information to go around. So we're just so grateful for what you and Laura are doing. And in all honesty, I kind of agree with you. I feel like there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I think that we're growing in numbers with mom-focused ones. But for some reason, they either kind of dwindle, or you know, they're they're they are they they do not keep up as much. Mm-hmm. But also, it's hard. We're moms too, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so balancing a lot and putting out podcasts is not the m- most simple, straightforward thing. We were actually just talking about that right before hitting play on recording is there's a lot of editing that goes involved and Mm -hmm. and scheduling and, you know, just a lot that goes into it. But I think we're all so passionate and committed to getting the messages out and we're like creating villages of moms Mm -hmm. to support each other that it's so well worth the time. I'm sure you and Laura can agree with that.
1: Oh my gosh, 100%. And honestly, I also think that it can sometimes be hard to really create a space where it's truly kind of like a non-judgmental space and people feel heard and it's very kind of an unbiased you know presentation of information and you guys do that so well and i and that's been kind of first and foremost in our mind as we create content for the podcast and so i think that's really unique so you guys need to pat yourselves on the back for that mm. because it's a hard thing to nail it's a really Thanks. Hard I do. really
2: appreciate that acknowledgement. Yeah, that's very important to Steph and I. Steph actually is the one who really taught me that mostly because she's, she's really in such the world of content creation for mm-hmm. these moms. And mm-hmm. she's really been a great example for me with that. But I, I completely agree.
1: and And I think you guys do great with that as well. Awesome. Well, now that we got our love fests out of the way, <laughs> I'm going to, totally. most of our yeah. listeners probably know who you are, but I'm going to give everyone a little brief bio on who you are, what you do, and why we're having you on the podcast today, because you're a wealth of information. So, for you guys who don't know, Dr. Alana Rummel is a naturopathic doctor with a passion for pediatrics. She founded Nourish Medical Center in San Diego, California, in 2014, where she currently practices alongside a group of other naturopathic and medical doctors, providing holistic care to the whole family. In addition to her private practice, Dr. Ramel is a co-host of the Whole30 sponsored Whole Mamas podcast. Podcast episodes air weekly, which give her the opportunity to share her knowledge, stay up to date with new health topics, and interview experts in the health field. Her intention is to empower parents with knowledge so they are well informed to make the best decisions for the health of their children. With a love for teaching, she created Med School for Moms, which... We are so excited to dive into more, where she teaches moms how to safely be a doctor mom. She loves to teach parents how to care for their children at home and equip them with the most effective, tried-and-true natural remedies available. For more information and to watch her free mini-course, you can visit www.medschoolformoms.com, which we will link to in the show notes. And you can also follow her on Instagram at Dr. Alana Rommel, where she shares her journey as a mother and doctor from her kitchen to her medical office. Man, life is just, I mean, you're not busy at all, are you? You know, Jess, it's
2: so funny because I don't think we oftentimes hear our own bios being read very often. (laughs) And when I'm like listening to you, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so busy. (laughs) (laughs) It is so true. There's so many different hats that I wear. But you know, I'm so passionate about this field. And I'm I've just I've always known, even as a student when I was in my medical school training, I always knew I wanted to niche. Like Mm -hmm. it was something that it was so attractive. I was never that kind of person that wanted to be a jack of all traits and a master of none. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a master at something. And the minute I became a mom and I was pregnant for the first time and I was just like embraced in this village of, of motherhood, I just knew like this. Oh, I get the chills. <laughs> like this is the community that I want to serve. And these are the little kids that I want to help. And you know, with my background and my personal story, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit it's just it's so aligned with who i am which is really why i you know decided to open up the medical center and why i decided to create the course i said to my husband the other day what goes on in my brain when i develop these kind of things is it doesn't even feel like a choice like it mm-hmm. feels like It's what has to be done. You know, like it's Mm. like I can't not do this. This is just the work that is meant to be happening in my life. And so I'm so called to do it. And I'm so glad that I have the drive and the motivation and the organization to do it. But I am really excited just to have this second baby coming up in just a couple (laughs) of weeks actually as we're airing. (sighs) Because it's gonna really slow me down and, and you know, help me just reconnect back to really what my priority is in life which is my family and my own health so that then I can be there for other people and so slowing down is going to be so nice for me and and, and I'm really looking forward to that and then I get rejuvenated and then I get to help and incre- you know create more stuff for moms mm-hmm. and and for kids
1: I love that and I will say from personal experience as someone I resonating with a lot of what you're saying obviously I'm not a medical doctor I was in the health profession before I kind of transitioned out of that full time but my second kiddo First one too was kind of a process of learning to prioritize and learning to really relax a little bit too. I think kids are magical and in that they kind of force you to slow down, exactly what you were saying. But I'm super excited for you because I feel like a lot of my creative like energy and direction really, really emerged after the birth of our second kiddo. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like there it's this, you know, motherhood is this constant process of like shedding the old and like stepping into the new. And so I'm just, I feel giddy for you.
2: Oh, thank you. There's no question that what you said for me, I feel like every one of my children. So I've only had two so far, or I'm about to have my second helps me create the next thing for what I'm out to creating for the world. You know, it first started with my nurse kids ebook and my nurse kids medicine kit when I first had a viva and now with the second baby in this pregnancy I've just been so clear with the creation of med school for moms and I feel like that's the gift he's brought my life and to -hmm. the world. And I kind of said to my husband, Anthony, I was like, "Anth, I don't know if we can stop because I know I have more in me. I think I'm probably (laughs) going to have to get pregnant a third time just to create like what's next. And he just laughed at me. He's like, can't you do it without getting pregnant? (laughs) And, you know, I was (sighs) like, we we don't know what's what's up for our future. You know, Mm -hmm. we're we're open to having more and we're also okay if we end up stopping after this one. So we're just going to give it some time and pace ourselves. But there is definitely something that for me and it definitely sounds. Like for you, Jess, and I'm sure so many of our listeners can relate is that there are, I look at our children kind of like as our muse. There are mm-hmm. people who have to teach us so many lessons, challenging ones for sure. <laughs> and mm. also things that we may not have even known we had inside of us until we actually birth them and then birth a new person, you know, with every labor that we go through. And I think that is such a beautiful opportunity of growth and expansion and service to the world.
1: Oh my gosh. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's amazing. Well, I can't wait. I'll be following along. We are like 98% done having children, but uh, <laughs> I can li- I'll can. live vicariously <laughs> through you. I love the two percent <laughs> there's always that two percent in the background you know I'll be 36 this year actually in December and so it's kind of it's not that I feel like oh I'm I'm quote unquote too old or whatever I feel nothing around that it's more just like there is a sense like our kiddos are three and six now and I'm like do I really mm. want to go? Way back to the like the the newborn. And stage, no, I
2: get it. You know? I think it's important to honor that and you know have that discussion with your
1: husband. So yeah. good luck with that. Thanks. But it sounds
2: like you guys are pretty firm. With ninety eight is pretty strong.
1: Yeah. Well, t- my husband Tim is the one who's like, let's have seven. He's the one. He's the one who wants to have more. Oh, I'm like, oh, a big heart. I know. That's so he, sweet. He's way more patient than I am. But he's like, and why don't you carry them <laughs> yeah. and nurse them and stay up at night?
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> maybe. maybe Maybe you never know in five years or so, <laughs> maybe dads will be able to do all the hard work. So it would uh, be awesome
2: to have that shared, that's <laughs> for sure. Know.
1: Okay, before we dive in, and just um, you know, before we got, you know, I reached out and I was like, we've gotta have you on. I'm not really sure what that looks like, but I know your wealth of knowledge. And I was thinking we would have a, a general direction for this podcast episode, but really when we did a call for questions, I think people just want to pick your brain, but also a lot of it was just around how do we take, you know, this stuff that seems really hard to understand. You know, I think a lot of times the medical, like medical community and medical care is kind of mystified and people really feel like they don't have the tools to, you know, help themselves in illness or in health with, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it feels hard and it feels like something we could never understand. And so I love your approach, especially with the creation of Med School for Moms and trying to really break down some in- intimidating concepts and allowing regular old parents just like me to really... I don't know, care for their family Yeah. well. No, it was exactly my motivation is, you know, in
2: practice, I just see moms coming to me so anxious about some things that are pretty minor. Mm. And I just kept on thinking to myself, there's no... There's no shame in that. Mm -hmm. There's no fault in that. It's simply because they're not educated. Mm -hmm. And I felt so privileged that I got to immerse myself in all this education for so many years. And I really lent it to being a really calm, confident mom when my kids got sick. And I was like- I shouldn't be the one that only has this information. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't like when moms are so dependent on their doctor for assurance. Now, there is a time and a place Mm -hmm. to use them. They're experts, and it's important that, you know, they do come to us in times that they do feel like it's dangerous. But why not learn when it's important to go see the Mm -hmm. doctor and when you can really comfortably and confidently, safely treat your child from home? And not only is just so empowering, but our kids get to see us in this light of like being like a hero, you know, mm-hmm. and being like their nurturer. And it's it's to me it's like a prerequisite. It should be, you know, right for all parents. <laughs> yeah. Yet there's never a manual or a handbook mm-hmm. for parenting. And I think the and it's sad it's not sad but it's inevitable our kids will get sick. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how vital or healthy they are or actually how chronically sick they are. They will all get sick at mm-hmm. some point. And so I think it's just important that we all know our tools. And if we don't, then we're relying on the medical system, which is very limited at times. Mm -hmm. So I I had no choice. And that's why med school for moms, to me, that name was like Done like that's what it is. It's it's not medical school, so you're not coming out with like a, a degree or a doctorate, you know, in medicine. But you're definitely coming out of the program feeling calm, competent, and confident when your child gets sick, because that's what I want for all parents. So whether it's a mom or a dad or a caretaker, I still niche. It, you know, I market it to moms because they're usually the ones who are most interested. But it really could be for any caretaker. And it's just an educational course where I really organize all of the material for you. And my husband always told me that I have a gift in organization. I didn't actually appreciate that or realize that until he really pointed it out. (laughs) And I was like, I guess I do have like a knack <laughs> for that, and I like pretty things, and I yeah. like charts, and I like graphs, and, and I just wanted to make it as straightforward, because it's already so busy as being a mom. It's mm. overwhelming. Like There's enough things for us to choose every day, all day. I wanted the material to be as straightforward and as easy as possible, so there were no more myths, and it wasn't so intimidating, and it was an easy thing for people to be like, okay, cool. I got this. Awesome. Let's move on.
1: Yeah, and I and I think you said organization, but I think there's this whole other overarching theme of information organization for you to be able to take something that feels really complex like, you know, illness or medical treatment and break down a complex idea into like actionable steps for like a layperson, that is a particular skill. Like because not everybody mm. that can that does can actually teach, right? But for you to be able to do and to teach I think that's just like phenomenal. That's a thanks. I appreciate that. There is a distinction with that. I agree.
2: And I love teaching. It's, I I always said, if I wasn't a doctor, I'd be a teacher. And I'm just so happy I get to do. Both, essentially. But that is true. I love taking complex topics and breaking it down for anyone to understand. And you'll hear me. It's funny. My husband also laughed at me when I was like on the phone with, it was Sally me at this time. Now it's not, but this is where our school loans are. Mm -hmm. I literally would get on the phone. I'm like, hey, this is too complicated for me. So treat me like I'm in kindergarten and explain it to me so I really understand where (laughs) are my student loans and what's happening. And I think that some (laughs) people, they do, they just kind of talk over people's heads when it's not their field. And I realized that for me to learn something, I do need it to be as simple as possible. And then I can add on the depth. Mm. So I think just for me, that's my learning style. And so I like to teach it like that to others.
1: So thanks for that acknowledgement. Yeah. I really appreciate it. You crush it. You're an expert oh, at thanks. debunking the expert stuff. So that's before, awesome. Yeah. I will say vaccines are
2: probably the hardest mm. and most complex. So I'm really proud of that course, because- that that was just an enormous amount of time and patience and, you know, to really break things down. But anyway, oh, okay, wait, go so ahead. I know whole, we have so many questions. No, I was going
1: to say, just real quick, because you said vaccines, is that part of the med school course or is that a whole separate yes, course so that you have? The way that I created Med School for Moms is
2: originally I designed the curriculum to give you a whole overview of the mindset of being a doctor mom. So when is it important to really be fearful? And when is it important, you know, to go see the doctor or not? And just like, how do we like? get ourselves calm in order to make these decisions. Then I teach you the medicine, so the tools, the conventional medicine, the natural therapy. So you actually know how to navigate and choose and if there's side effects to those medicines, how do we like have solutions to those? Because there are solutions. There's a time and a place for all medicines. So I love integrative medicines. And then I have a mastery course where I teach you per condition. So if your child has a fever, let's dive into fever. If your child has a cough, let's dive into cough. And we put it all together, the mindset and the myths around cough and the medicines around cough. And then how do we master this, you know, being a doctor mom? And so as I designed the course, I realized, look, some people may not be interested in all of it. I, I feel confident that if someone were to take all three courses, they will master how to be a doctor mom. But I, you know, I want it to be flexible. I wanted it to be affordable. So I decided, all right, you could break up the courses if you just want one or the other, or you can even get it, some of them just in guidebook forms. So and then let me wrap it up with my vaccine course. The reason why then also out of the vaccine stuff was if a mom were to invest in all three of the courses, then I throw in my vaccine course as like a free bonus Mm -hmm. because I'm like, look, if you're really investing yourself and truly becoming a doctor mom, you're going to want to know about vaccines. So at that point, that's kind of how that came to be. And I just do so many vaccine consults in my practice. I'm only one person, and I only have so much time. Mm -hmm. So I just decided to do a presentation and then just record it. So if someone just wants a vaccine course, that's an option. But the main goal is honestly to really feel confident about not just vaccines, but everything that has to do with pediatric health, or at Mm -hmm. least a good understanding. It's obviously not everything. And so that's how the vaccine course kind of came about. But I will be honest, Jess, and it's so sad, but I just hope that I can Continue to offer my consults and continue to offer these online programs because, in other countries, like I just found out in Canada, you know, and naturopathic doctors and even chiropractors, they they will actually have huge violations and even potential jail time for doing this kind of education, which to me is just horrible. And I couldn't even believe it. My jaw just dropped when I heard this. And I was like, they're like, at least you guys have freedom of of speech. And I was like, well, I feel like our rights are definitely being taken away in other ways. But yes, at this point, as long as I can educate, believe me, I'm doing it. So So
1: I don't know how long that vaccine course is going to be available,
2: but I'm hoping for a while.
1: Okay, well, let, if you guys are even remotely interested in that information, you might want to jump on yeah. it. This was not a sales pitch, but I do feel like. Yeah, no, I'm just being real about yeah, it. Yeah, being I real is I can keep it up. important. I mean, that is so important. And I think it's just, it's, and again, before we dive into these questions, I, I want to also. Put out there. Dr. Ramel is not going to be able to give specific individual medical advice. Okay. So that's really the doctor patient relationship. That's where that becomes established. But we're going to work through a lot of these questions in a general term. We do have some questions about vaccination and her thoughts around it. So we're going to, again, it's going to be pretty general. And then if you want to deep dive, please, please take advantage of the resources that she has created, like the vaccine course or med school for moms, because there's only so much we can cover in an hour long podcast episode, and you've already done the work by creating that content, and it's out there. So I just want to put that out. Do you feel comfortable with with that, Dr. Romel? Yes, thank you. I do
2: appreciate it, because I can only go into so much depth in in interviews and podcasts, so I just love that.
1: Hey, if you want more, there's resources, so they're covered. And thank you for creating all those resources. So before we dive in, I want to hear more about your story. You've given us some bits and pieces, but we'll kind of set aside some real time for you to dive into. I want to know how you got here, why you're passionate about the work you do, what was med school like? Like, I mean, all everything that you want to share before we really get into the Q&A stuff, because I think it's just fascinating to me, your story, and I would love to hear more. Thanks. Okay, I'll try to make it brief because I do want to get into (laughs) all your audience questions. But
2: if you go to my website under my bio, I actually have a really touching video. I I swear I I feel like I cry every time I watch that video. It was like a one shot done deal because it really is meaningful to me. But I'll essentially share when I was young, I had a brother who was only two years younger than me. I was very close to him. And he died suddenly of an asthma attack. He had really bad asthma, really bad allergies, bad eczema. And although this is a Very uncommon occurrence for kids with asthma. So, for any mom listening who has a child with asthma, this is not very common, but it does happen. And he had a really severe attack when we were having some wildfires here in California. And the part, I mean, we had ashes just like raining from the sky the week he went into a coma. So I think it just irritated his lungs beyond measure. And he couldn't breathe. And he went into a coma, and he stayed in a coma for seven days. And then we took him off life support and he died. And it completely shifted my currents of, my world. I mean, not only was I at a loss because I just lost one of my best friends. I I was a big tomboy and I loved playing with him. He was my my little buddy. But I also saw what it did to my parents. And it really completely shook them up. I mean, as you can imagine now as moms ourselves, you just, that's the worst thing you can ever experience is is losing a child. And so at a young age, I was nine at that point, I really matured pretty quickly. And I became very dedicated to learning about health and wellness for a few reasons. One, I didn't want that ever to happen to another family member. I kind of went into this like protection mode where I almost felt like I wanted to protect my other sisters and my parents and myself. And a lot of it was because I knew that if my parents had another loss, like if one of my sisters or myself were to pass, I don't think they would even survive, Uh like to survive two children. So I kind of did everything I could to be as healthy as possible. I didn't want to die because I knew They couldn't go through it and suffer. And I also was just interested because I never wanted that to happen to another family member, nor one of my children one day. I knew I wanted to be a mom. So from a very young age, I just immersed myself in books and, you know, knowledge. And obviously it's a huge journey. Now I'm in my, you know, mid-30s, so it's been many years of doing research, and it really called me to go to naturopathic medical school, actually, and not the traditional medical school route, even though I had the choice and I was really considering it, mostly because I knew that I wanted more options for these kids. I knew that my brother was on every traditional medicine he could be on and he, he still didn't survive. And I knew like there had to be more ways. So what I love about naturopathic medical school is that we're taught both the conventional therapies and natural therapies. And I love that I get to give my patients the choice. Because at the end of the day, I can let them know what I think may be best. But at the end of the day, it's the parent's choice when Mm -hmm. it comes to their kids. And I fully support that. I just want them to have the knowledge and feel empowered to make those choices. So that's the route I took. And all along, I knew I wanted to niche at some point. I just didn't feel ready to niche until I was a mom myself. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like I can't really speak like I'm, Steph and I, we say this a lot. Like we practice what we preach. Like once we incorporate in our lives, that's when we're so passionate about really teaching this stuff. So I couldn't wait until that. I did general medicine for many years, but I wasn't as fulfilled. I knew I loved working with the kids and the moms. And so, like I said, once I became a mom myself, it was just a no-brainer. I stopped booking all adult patients. I went just straight into kids and pregnant women, and I've absolutely loved it since. And I really have a lot of hope for our future generation because I see a lot of proactive parents and a lot of sick kids, but I see them how well they get. You know, kids are so vital. And if we could just give them the right nutrients and the right support and the right environment, they really could thrive. And so I absolutely have so much faith in our future generation and what we could do now. And so I'm, I'm really on a mission to help parents learn that and Really avoid what happened in my family with my brother, and in all honesty, support parents through some of these traumatizing events because. The parents reaction to these type of stressors really affects all of the kids and I know that personally. So working with the parents and the kids
1: both is a passion for me, not just one or the other. Oh my gosh. That's well, I was in tears when you were talking about your brother. I just Mm. I have two younger sisters myself. And so I just I, I can imagine how that impacted you. And I just I'm so grateful that you channeled that grief into something that is, has the potential to help so many people. So just, I don't know. I just admire you so much. You're amazing. Well, that, that, difficulty for
2: sure motivated my passion. There's no question. That's why with all traumas and and losses, I just look at them and I look for all the gifts in it. And there are so many gifts if you can really just look deep down. So yeah. he's my gift in that. He's my muse, I call him, and my total inspiration. So I, I love him so much and he's fully within everything I do with Med School for Moms. Oh, so that's, that's that. So thanks, thanks for that acknowledgement as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Ugh, I almost cry every, pretty much every episode you're so, cute. so we'll just knock that one big out heart. the beginning that's awesome
0: hi friends laura here with some exciting news four sigmatic has come on as a modern mama's podcast sponsor we are so excited if you've been following along with my instagram stories especially you've seen that i use this stuff every single morning the lion's mane elixir is my absolute favorite I add it to my boosted coffee for an extra boost of brain clarity, productivity and focus that I genuinely did not experience until I started adding this in every day. They also make other elixirs like reishi for calming, cordyceps for an energy boost and chaga for an immune boost. Along with those elixirs, they also have really cool blends. I love the Lion's Mane and coffee blend when I travel because I don't have to worry about getting my hands and lips on high quality coffee. I have it ready to go. All you need is hot water. You mix in the blend and you're set. They have caffeine-free options as well, like a chai latte and a turmeric latte for gut health and skin glow, and they have all kinds of incredible blends. I cannot recommend enough that you go check out their website, find whatever mushroom blend is going to fit with your lifestyle and give it a try. The awesome folks at Four Sigmatic have offered our listeners, you guys are special, you get 15% off any order. If you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash modern mamas or simply type in modern mamas all lowercase, all one word at checkout, you get 15% off. Check it out, see what fits your life, and happy shrooming. We are so excited to announce a brand new podcast sponsor.
1: We are loving our Comrade compression socks. We've been using them for a couple months now, and so far they have been amazing. They are wonderful for whatever ails you, whether it's soreness after a workout, where you're looking to improve recovery time, or maybe you're just looking to increase blood flow after a day at the desk. Maybe you're traveling, perhaps in a van, and want to make sure you're loving on your feet, on the go. These are awesome for everyone at every stage, especially for mamas who are suffering from swollen ankles Or maybe those pesky varicose veins. The socks are incredible. They're definitely not your average compression socks. They're really sexy and very cute. And you can wear these out in public and you'll be the talk of the town in the best way. We highly, highly recommend them. You can get your socks and support the podcast by shopping for your comrade socks and using the code modernmamas for 20% off your
0: purchase. Enjoy! Hello, Modern Mamas family. This is Laura here popping on real quick to express some gratitude and excitement about our brand new sponsor, SuperFat. SuperFat makes amazing little nut butter packets. They come in macadamia and almond, MCT and probiotic, cacao, coconut, protein, and my favorite, nitro coffee and MCT. They're the perfect fuel on the go for those busy days when... Life is pretty nonstop, but you still want to nourish your body and mind deeply. I have these in my bag at all times and have one pretty much every morning between my boosted coffee and when I'm finally able to sit down, breathe, and have a meal. They are sustaining, they are nutrient-dense, and man, are they delicious. You can get 15% off any Super Fat order with code MODERNMAMAS. Thanks so much to Super Fat for supporting the podcast, and thanks to you guys for being here.
1: Are you kind of ready to jump into this very yes. lengthy Q&A? Let's do it. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's antsy to do know, that. Sorry, like, guys, okay. for so much background. No, it's great. And I, I love, we always set everything up that we do with background information because I think knowing the story, like, why are you here? Why are you answering these questions mm-hmm. is really, really important. So let's yeah. dive in. Okay. So lots and lots and lots of questions about, I think, and it, I'm going to preface this before we truly go in. It's like, we prepare so much for pregnancy and even delivery that sometimes when kiddos get here and now we have them and we're like, what do we do with this child? Oh. <laughs> it's a lot of questions about like, what do we do when X, Y, Z? What about this? And so I, myself, even with two kids, I'm really, really excited about some of the answers that we're going to be prepared to hear. So, okay. First question. Should you wake a baby toddler at night to check if their fever has broken or risen? Okay, this is
2: such a common question. So I love it, whoever asks, The answer is no. (laughs) So the body heals during times of rest. And so that's a really important factor. So we obviously don't want to disturb our child. If your child is so uncomfortable, the child will wake up. And so believe me, you will get those signs crying and whatnot. It is very important to understand why fever is a really, really amazing natural process that we actually want to harness and not suppress. You know, I think most moms who are listening are already pretty proactive, but I think a reminder can hurt. Essentially, a fever is not a disease or or an illness. It's just a symptom saying that the body's trying to fight off either a virus or bacteria, and so we want the body's temperature to rise so that the virus or bacteria doesn't live in that environment. It's an amazing mechanism to kill the bug. So we don't want to suppress it too much because we obviously want the bugs to die, but we also don't want to cause too much discomfort in our child. So one of the biggest fears is could my child's temperature be too high and what if it can cause brain damage or what if a febrile seizure occurs or or what if so then you know we're called to wanting to wake them up for some peace of mind and a lot of that is mostly for the peace of mind of the parent but here's the big kicker is that the number that you see on the thermometer is not going to affect anything that you do. So what's the purpose of knowing that thermom the, the number on the thermometer? What's the purpose of getting that temperature? So I teach this extensively in my fever courses, but essentially your child's temperature can go up to 108 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's 108.00, okay. okay, not 100.8, without any brain damage occurring, okay? Mm. now this is very infrequent. You don't usually see fevers above 105, 106. You know, By 105 or 106, that child is incredibly hot, incredibly uncomfortable. They're going to show other signs of distress. So you're not even near 108. But I'm just trying to give moms an understanding of Checking the temperature is not going to really help you do all that much different. If you were to call a doctor and say, hey, my child's temperature is X number, the next question we're going to ask is, okay, what other accompanying symptoms does your child have? So as doctors, we actually care a lot more about the accompanying symptoms and the pattern of the fever more than the actual number. And I'll go into those kind of details. But once again, for you to wake up your child just to take his or her temperature doesn't really give us all that much information. And it's not going to give you any more information and either being scared or not. If the child's sleeping, then they're obviously not in discomfort or Mm -hmm. pain or they're sleeping. So please let their immune systems do the work, let them sleep. And for you to feel calm, you're going to have to do something for yourself, you know, (laughs) because that, no, but that's a huge factor. Mm -hmm. And, And children pick up on our anxiety and our nerves. So you can actually exacerbate their symptoms simply by waking them up. Up getting panicked about a number that may or may not actually be accurate or or worry you, and then you suppress the fever, and now their symptoms are actually gonna last longer. So my my answer to that is no, don't wake up your sleeping child. But there's one caveat in that. I care if there's any fever in a newborn, or I should say a zero to three-month-old child. So a newborn to three months of age. I care much more if there's a fever. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a zero to one month, so you only have literally the first like four weeks of a child's you know life, if that child has a fever, anything which is above 100.4 degrees, it's an immediate ER visit. Now, at that point, they're nursing all night long anyway. It's not like you have to wake them up. I mean, you're already with them all the time anyway. If you needed to take their temperature, you're really not having to necessarily wake them up. Now, if it's a one to three month old, Then you want to call your doctor at the very least and get an idea of should I take them to the ER? Should I stay at home? What should I do? But then once that child turns three months or older, the you know that's it it doesn't actually matter the number it really matters much more the signs the patterns the accompanying type of symptoms that come along with it
1: is that clear Jess no, i want that, to make sure that's, that's crystal clear in, that's incredibly clear and i think that also kind of hits our second question which was when should we really call or see the doc for example they said x temp for x hours or xyz symptoms okay. so when should Great. we really okay, be okay so concerned? i'll be very clear about that so okay. we already now went through what
2: to do with a 0 to 3 month old so anything with a 0 to 3 month old you do want to act much quicker okay but any child 3 months and older here's what you're going to look for okay the first thing is signs of dehydration when a child's temperature is really high that's a very common occurrence is that they they lose fluids they're either sweating because of you know the uh, chills and, and and sweats or or they're just not like their appetite is low they're not drinking very much so dehydration is actually probably worse mm-hmm. off than the actual fever so you want to look for how many wet diapers. You want at least three wet diapers or more in 24 hours. So anything less than three wet diapers. And if a child's older, I obviously just take a look at you know how often they're peeing. But it's really interesting. The more you keep your child hydrated, the quicker the fever will actually not necessarily break, but at least give them some relief because cooling down the body with that hydration is very important. So more dehydrated, the longer the fever will last the other thing is obviously look for your kids mood so you're looking for if they're listless or lethargic or just not responding obviously you know if they don't know who you are or their their mood is just acting so weird of course that's anything any anytime your their child's mood is off you're gonna go ahead and, and call the doctor that's with anything with cough or sore throat or whatever if they're just not acting like themselves it's one thing to be tired and just want to be lazy and sit on the couch and watch TV it's another thing to have like hallucinations or just look like they're just so like listless you know and so moms have intuitions parents have intuitions when that's abnormal that's a good sign Another thing is your child is just inconsolably crying. I mean, nothing is helping. No nursing, no rocking, no music, no, you know, anything, shushing I and mean, nothing is, is helping this child. Then, of course, it's time to talk to your doctor. The more, you know, common things I would say in older children would be fever that's accompanied with a rash, a sore throat without a cough or severe ear pain. And again, you guys don't have to write all these notes. I mean, it's all outlined in my guidebooks and my material, but it's just nice to kind of have some reference to be like, okay, does my child have this, this, and this? Like, Let's just check them off. If you can check something off, then you go to the doctor. If you can't check it off, then you just know, okay, cool. My child doesn't have a sore throat without a cough and a fever, so then cool, I can just stay home. Or okay, my child has a fever with severe ear pain. Okay, it's time to go to the doctor. And then just the last one is a stiff neck. This is also very rare, but a sign of meningitis. So if your child has a high fever and you can see they're either holding their neck, they don't want to move their neck down, they don't want to put their chin down to their chest, you also know that that's a sign. So I just have these really clearly listed out in my guidebook, so you guys don't have to memorize them. Obviously, I have them all memorized. But you, again, just kind of go down the checkbox list and you know, okay, it's time to go or, all right, well, my kid's not having any of those things. So I guess we
1: can just stay home and keep on going. Perfect. I think that really wrapped that one up really, really well. Gosh, I I am still learning so much. I'm nodding my head along as you're talking. So this is going to be so amazingly helpful for so many people. So kind of leaning into now, okay, we know when to seek help. Another really, really great question was what would be your top three items in a natural medicine cabinet for maybe treating things like fever or cold flu things? of that Sure. So that's tough because I have so
2: many favorites, <laughs> you can but do I'm to do my best to just to. choose three. <laughs> um, the cool thing is, is that some of my go-tos, for example, like fish oil or probiotics, like those are things you can get in food. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even going to include that in my list because if it were up to me, kids would be eating these things in food to help their immune system and their gut health and all of that good stuff. So let me choose in three that I feel like you you can't really get from food that I think every doctor mom should have in their medicine cabinet. So these are immune-stimulating herbs or nutrients. So I when I teach about medicine, I divide different medicines or natural medicines into three categories, homeopathy, herbal medicine, and health food supplements. So there are all these H's, which is easy to remember. And out of my top three in the medicine kit, I would actually choose two herbal medicine products and one health food supplement. Now, I'm absolutely in love with homeopathy, but there are just far too many to choose from. So that's a whole nother episode. But let's go through then the two herbal medicines and then the health food supplement. The first one is elderberry. I cannot talk more about elderberry, and I do. I talk so much about elderberry. The reason why I like it is that it's an antiviral. Viral medication. Seven out of 10 childhood illnesses come from viruses, not bacteria. And so this is just the common cold flu or hand foot mouth or chickenpox or, you know, I mean, look, it's so many different viruses that we can have. And so we want something that can really help kill a virus. Elderberry tastes good. It's affordable. You could even make this at home if you really, really wanted to be on a budget. I just get such great results with this. It's something you could take as a preventative medicine, and then if your child does get sick, you increase the dose. So I just think it's hands down one of the best products to have in in a medicine kit if you do have a child. I love that. We the have the second use one: that? herbal medicine. I'm sure, right? I mean, yeah. so many moms who are interested in natural medicine, they already know about elderberry syrup. Yeah. So that probably isn't a new one, but it is important. And just as a quick tip, if you do have a child under 1, you want to avoid the ones with honey because there are some that are sweetened mm-hmm. with honey. And so just as that FYI, and please note the gummy elderberries, they just are not anywhere as potent as the syrup. So if you feel like, "Oh, I've been giving my child elderberry, but nothing's happening," it's very important that you're checking the dosage and the frequency with any natural medicine, and I and I explain that in all my courses how to effectively actually use these. Okay, so the second one is echinacea. This is another herbal medicine. And the reason why I'm choosing echinacea is that one, it's obviously very safe in the pediatric population, along with pregnancy and nursing. All of these are. But what I like about echinacea is that it can kill both viruses and or bacteria. So sometimes you don't know. You know, we don't know is that runny nose coming from a virus or bacteria? If we're only using elderberry syrup and it's from a bacteria, well, maybe it's not going to be the most effective medicine. Whereas if you add echinacea on board, then you know you're getting a broad spectrum type of herbal medicine. So I personally think having echinacea on hand in your medicine kit is very helpful. I have a brand that I like that is on the sweeter side because it's, it, it's in a base of glycerin. Otherwise, you don't want to just go and get any echinacea. It's usually in an alcohol form, so kids won't take it. So anyway, go ahead to my website. You can see all my favorite stuff. And then the last one is a health food supplement. So this is a nutrient. I'm sure everyone knows it's called vitamin D, like dog D. This is just something that even newborns in standard of care are recommending. So this is a nutrient that is incredibly important for the immune system. And for those who are deficient in this, which is unfortunately a huge part of the population, they're much more susceptible to getting sick. And so we want to give this daily to prevent illness and just to really boost overall immunity. And then also we can go up and if a child is sick. But again, there's regulations around the toxicity, so you want to be a little bit careful and work with your practitioner with that.
1: Perfect. And do you recommend having the K2 in yes, conjunction? Thanks. It's
2: funny. I was thinking, I should just mention, I didn't want to confuse it because you only <laughs> said three. I, I I always recommend D and K together. It's hard to find a liquid dropper of vitamin D and K in a small dose for kids less than 12 months. So mm-hmm. for less than 12 months, I just say you could do just the D. But once you hit 12 months, you can get a good dose. Pretty much standard dosing below 12 months is anywhere between 400 to 800 IUs a day. And then once your baby hits twelve months or older you can go to up to a thousand IUs and that's where at least my favorite liquid droppers—they start at a thousand.
1: I use per drop, so that's when I start doing the vitamin D K two combo. Perfect, that's amazing. Oh my gosh! And you know, I think this is really helpful. I know it's a challenge to narrow down to three, but it's like it sometimes is. we can get so I'm like, okay, everyone line up for your daily supplements, and it's like twenty two different things. <laughs> like, no, no, it's too much. It's I too totally
2: much. agree. That's why actually on my website there's a whole medicine category. It's all free information mm. for moms. I you can download my free guides where it's it's like, here are the top favorite homeopathic remedies. And I I think I I listed seven. Here, I think it is. And then here's my seven top health food supplements. And here are my seven top herbal medicines. And they're free guides. They're not even- you don't even pay for them but it's just a matter of so moms can just really start narrowing down like okay here's a child this is what i need which which one should i start with Perfect. because it is overwhelming and it's not only really overwhelming it can be very costly yeah. and the body doesn't need so much you know it's it's too much at times some people <laughs> just go way too overboard right the beauty of natural medicine is our toolbox is incredibly large we have so many options and that can also be a problem so there's a time and a place for everything And I also believe that every individual reacts differently. I have some children in my practice that they react so quickly to homeopathy. I don't even need to touch herbal medicines or health food supplements. And then there's some kids that really do so much better with the herbal medicines. And I kind of don't do as much homeopathy because I just don't see that quick reaction. So again, it's just such a beautiful thing that we have so many different medicines. And this is where I say it's up to the mom to get to know your kids, to be observant, to practice and to really get to know what works for your child and what doesn't. And again, child one may be completely different than child two. Mm -hmm. And as challenging as that may be, it's also the beauty of our kids. You know, no two are alike, and we should honor that. So it's the
1: same thing when it comes to medicine. That's incredible. Thank you so much. I love that perspective. I'm also going to, so if you feel like you've, some of these may be a repeat of information. If you feel like you've hit most of that or you just want to add a couple things to what you've already said, feel free to do that. The next question really centers on natural cold and flu remedies slash immune boosters. This person was particularly asking for 18-month-old, but we also have some follow-up questions to that, like, what can you use for kids under a year old who have a cold? Or Are there any go-to safe herbs to use with kids with common colds? Would it be the Great, same... You know- It's a great question.
2: So here's like the general rule of thumb is for any child less than six months of age, I shy away from most natural medicines. So that includes herbal medicines and health food supplements, except for homeopathy. So if you have a child zero to six months of age, I would say really focus on your homeopathic remedies. If your child is now six months or older, they're starting to consume solid foods, their gut is matured a little bit more, their immune system is starting to mature. You can safely give them some of the, obviously, pediatric approved, Safe herbal medicines and some of the health food supplements that I outlined because not all of them are safe, but I go ahead and I teach you the ones that are safe and the dosing and such. The great thing with homeopathy is that it really is safe and it doesn't matter on the age or stage of the child or even mom, nursing, pregnant, it doesn't matter. It's more of a type of energetic type of medicine. And I I like to put it in the same category as like acupuncture. When you go get acupuncture, you know, you're getting needles throughout your Body and so it's stimulating your body to heal on its own. It's not that like those needles are doing something to specific biochemical pathways and they're pushing different pathways to either inhibit or to proceed, or it's not like that. It's just stimulating the body to heal. Very similar to homeopathy. When you get that right remedy, it just stimulates the body to heal. So it's very safe. If you don't get the right remedy, well, nothing really happens. It's the same thing with acupuncture. If you put the needles in the wrong place, or if you maybe put too many needles in, you're not going to get necessarily a negative reaction like you would with a conventional medicine kind of side effect. It just may not do the healing that, you know, if the needles were in the correct place. So I don't do acupuncture with kids. So instead, I do homeopathy with them. So to answer the question on, You know, If if your child is sick before six months, you always go to your homeopathic remedies first. If your child is six months or older, you now have a bigger toolbox. You could still use homeopathy and or you can now add some of the herbal medicines that I taught or even the health food supplement like vitamin D. And again, my list just goes on. Everything on the website will just continue to teach you more and more immune type of products out there as well.
1: Can you maybe give one or two homeopathic remedies that you tend to gravitate towards and use over and over again? Sure. Well, Arnica is probably the number one, and that's the one that probably most people know
2: worldwide. In fact, homeopathy is much more popular in Europe in Germany, and I mean, much more than here in the United States. When If anyone travels to Europe, you'll see homeopathic pharmacies and apothecaries. Mm-hmm. So Arnica is used for any type of bumps, bruise, injury. It could be minor, it could be major. So that was actually one of, I wanted to say, my top three in my medicine kit, but again, I just, I can only <laughs> have so many. But Arnica is literally something I take out, I take with me in my purse out. Like, I don't leave home without it. <laughs> and because our kids fall, they yeah. hit them. So, I mean, it's just, this is what they do. Now, I wouldn't. In- put this in the category of like a, an illness per se, but these are injuries and they're still medical, you know, they need medical attention. And so I just find that the recovery is so much greater. The the bruising has absolutely decreased giving Arnica at immediate onset. And it also really just helps the, the tears. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been so grateful that at this point, my daughter, she is excited when she falls because she comes right to me and <laughs> says, you know, she knows she gets her medicine. She thinks it's like the, best thing ever, so that really helps just, you know, with her mood. But that's just one example of arnica, So, or I'm sorry, of homeopathy. So homeopathy are the little pellets in the either blue or purple little cylinders we would often see at a health food store. And you're like looking at them like, what are these things? And you see there are dozens. I mean, there are thousands of different medicines, or homeopathic medicines. I teach, again, the top seven that I think all moms should know. And and again, it's so individualized that it's hard for me to even say, well, oh, and I use this or I use this. Like the other day, my Aviva had constipation. She never has constipation. She was struggling getting her little poop out. And so I gave her a remedy called Nuxvomica. Nuxvomica is a homeopathic remedy that's indicated for constipation when a child or an adult is extremely irritable and impatient and moody. And that's how she was. It is so unlike her to be like that. And so I gave her that remedy and I saw she at least pooped within that, that you know, right after I gave her that dose, it still was uncomfortable for her, but at least we got it out. But this is when I say is it's not like Nux is only indicated for constipation. There are at least 50 more remedies that I could have chosen for constipation, but I have to assess it based on the individual presentation. And so this is where you really have to keep your eyes open and your ears alert because any type of mood change or any type of like sign or symptom that you can observe will help you actually know when natural medicines are indicated. So it's a little bit more work on our end, but the the joy of seeing them get better is just so cool. So I, I have a private Facebook group that I have moms join after they enroll in any of my courses or guidebooks so I can continue to teach them all of the different medicines. You know, I highlight the ones that I love the most in Med School for Moms, and it's definitely the place to start. You have to start somewhere. And again, I've got those free guides on the website. But then there's always going to be continued learning. I named the group Moms Mastering Medicine because there is it takes years of practice just like for a doctor. It's a practice for a reason. And so every year we just learn more and more and more and we have to practice it. And so I just continuously teach you all the different medicines, but the the courses are obviously in the guidebooks are where you start.
1: Oh my gosh. I'm just like immediately going to go run and purchase the course. Aww. I am so That's excited. Awesome. And again, like I know that we can only really scratch the surface and we're already, we've already been talking for like 48 minutes, which is incredible to oh me. Oh goodness. Like, I didn't realize how the time. I, I know you're keeping track. No, I'm keeping Holy track. I, I mean, I could t- chat with you for hours about this, but I just, I feel like, again, I want to remind our listeners, like we're barely scratching the surface here and there's so much to be learned. And I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that you have the resources in place for that. Oh, it's so, my pleasure. Um, just maybe we'll have
2: to do a second episode at oh some point, gosh. maybe after I have my baby. And things settled down for me.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm going to try and squeeze in a few more if you Yeah, go please. No problem. And one of the questions was best comprehensive guide for parents to be. I'm just going to go ahead and answer that and say, (laughs) that's school for moms and everything on your site is probably the best comprehensive guide, at least for these types of questions. I can't, I have not come across in my searching any other program really so all inclusive and so well done. So, I'm going to answer that question for us. That's awesome. Well, thank you. (laughs) So this one, again, this is a little bit of a tricky subject, but I would love to hear your your general thoughts on flu shots for kiddos or in general, however you want to approach that. I know we talked about this a little bit before you came on, but... Sure. Whatever you So again, this is a little bit
2: of a tricky topic because now we're going into vaccines. Mm-hmm. And the way that I like to approach <sighs> vaccines is that I take the individual child's risk of exposure to a disease and I weigh it with the individual's child's potential for an adverse reaction to a vaccine. And so with anything, when it comes to medicine, there should be informed consent so that parents understand there is a risk and then there's a benefit. And we have to weigh it and we have to kind of figure out the balance so that we know what the appropriate measure is for our child so the flu is definitely something that every year comes around anytime between November to April. so this is a big time. This is like a six month period unfortunately. and it can hit and it's very contagious. And it's not a shock to me that there's immunization for it. I think it's a you know it was a good idea, the whole concept of trying to avoid it because you don't want to get the flu. It's not comfortable, it's not fun. and in very susceptible individuals, some people can die from it. These people are usually elderly, or these people are the very, very, very young or immunocompromised individuals. With that said, of course we want to protect our kids. So I think no matter what, we all can agree whether it's a vaccine or it's some other kind of protection, we all just want to be aware of it and protect. And this is why hand washing is so important, and you know, eating really healthy foods, boosting the immune system, and such. Now, when we go to really looking at what the flu vaccine is and the effectiveness of it, is really where I I, I kind of. I'm stopped by it. So there's really good studies out there on the flu vaccine. It's been out for quite a while. Every year, there are different strains that are chosen. And it's essentially a guess of which strain do we think this year's flu is going to be. And so once they decide that, then they go ahead and they manufacture the flu vaccines for the year, then they release it. At the best year, the most effective we've ever seen the flu vaccine to be is a high of 30%. Some years it could be as low as in the 20s or even less. Some years it could be up to 30. That means three out of 10 people who get the flu vaccine, we could be sure that they would be protected. The other seven out of 10 who get the flu vaccine, it will not be effective at all. With that information, I think that's important to go with so we know, do we give our child the flu vaccine or do we not give our child the flu vaccine? Because you have to be ready for even if you give the flu vaccine or any vaccine for that matter, your child can still mount a response and still be susceptible to an infection. So you have to still do these other measures in order to be proactive because you really never know if they're going to get it or not. Mm. Okay. So I just want to make that very Mm. clear. Then when you think about, well, what else can we do to help prevent the flu? The awesome thing is, is that with natural medicine, there are tons of antiviral medications. In- the conventional world of medicine, there are very few antiviral medications. And in fact, the very few that we have are also unfortunately pretty ineffective. Their antibacterial type of medications, which are antibiotics, have been proven to be very effective. And there's definitely a time and place for antibiotics. But when it comes to a virus like a flu, there's very few options, and which is why conventional medicine pushes a lot of the flu vaccine, because it really is one of their only options to help prevent the disease. And so as a doctor, You want to give whatever tools you have. And so for me as an integrative doctor, Mm -hmm. I have so many tools and part of my toolbox are natural medicines. And because I believe in them and I know how effective they are, I err on the side of, wow, if I can just give our children the most potent antiviral medication, not only to prevent the disease, but also if they got the flu, I know and I feel confident about how to treat them then I guess I'm not all that afraid of having the flu. So I start questioning, well, is the flu vaccine more beneficial or less beneficial for that individual child? So again, I'm not giving advice. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I'm just giving you guys options to know what to do. I think there are there is a time and a place for a flu vaccine in certain healthcare workers or certain situations in certain age populations, like the elderly perhaps, or you know, these are people who are not mounting as quick of a response. I believe in our kids' immune systems and I believe in natural medicine. If given appropriately and effectively, mm-hmm. it is something that I, I trust. So, I'm going to just end at that because I can't give, you know, advice on yeah. that, but I think that that
1: was pretty clear at least how to go about trying to figure that out. Yeah, and I think you're really just speaking to the fact of as parents, I think one of our the biggest things that we can do for ourselves is to empower ourselves with education on questions like these and knowing that, you know, everything is so individual and for me, it's it's not necessarily questioning my healthcare provider's recommendation, it's it's also just but also, like, not necessarily blinding, blindingly accept what is maybe recommended. This mm-hmm. is a personal. This is just my personal how we view things like this. But it's always, like you said, I want to know the f- f- efficacy of this. I want to know are there other things that we can do? Like, what are the outcomes if my child at this age gets the flu? Like, so I, I really love that you're saying, like, you as a practitioner are going to weigh all of those things for each individual child that comes into your office.
2: Excellent. I'm so glad you summarized it like that because one of the things I teach in med school for moms is that in my mind, doctor moms have an amazing relationship with their pediatrician. That means that they're asking questions. That means that they're proactive. That means that they're part of the treatment plan. They're not just like a passive participant that's just watching and ready and taking everything that the doctor says as if they're God. It's not the case. You know, us doctors, we have opinions. We have our personal beliefs. We have days that we miss something. I mean, right, we're human, too. And I just believe as a doctor mom, it's very important that we come with Knowing that we're participating in this, which means that, hey, doctor, I need the education. Ask, like, take advantage of those doctor's visits. Ask these questions. Understand all the information. Legally, as doctors, were supposed to be providing informed consent. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen all too often when it comes to vaccines, and it's just the state of how it's gone. But you still have to ask for that. And if you do, then have this discussion, and then you can be educated. So I love that. So thanks for the reminder with it.
1: Absolutely, and I'm now since we're coming down to the I know we have a time crunch here. I kind of I'm gonna have to make executive decisions on our remaining yeah. questions, which is so hard for me. We did get some questions about vaccination, current vaccine schedule. I I think I'm going to. I feel like y- y- in talking about the flu vaccination, you have kind of summed up a general approach, and I know you have a resource for that, right? Like the your, yes, okay. Is there anything you want to add about... No,
2: I mean, honestly, there's just too much probably to talk about. I've done other podcasts on it, so maybe you can refer to those. Or even, I mean, obviously the vaccine course is very rich in that, but no, there's, I think that's pretty much the biggest sum is I just like to assess the child individually and I go through how to really understand the different risks of exposure and risks of adverse reaction. And then we come up with a plan, and then that's something that, you know, the parents ultimately choose. So no, I feel like we at least got through quite a bit, but I also, I guess want to say I do encourage pre and post detox plans mm-hmm. for before and after vaccinations, whether a child is at risk for adverse reactions or even not. You know, we might as well be proactive. These can start as young as the two month, you know, starting with vaccines. And I just think that that's something that would be of interest to a lot of parents.
1: I love that. And that's, that. you know, it's part of the course. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's extensive in my course. I love that so much because we personally have a few things that we do as well. I mean, just in general detox stuff. And so I think that is really, really important to note. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a couple more okay this is a little bit different spin what are your top couple tips for super picky eaters who are maybe below their quote-unquote ideal weight do you have any (laughs) go-to's Oh my
2: goodness! Yes, I love this topic because I mean it's just so common. I guess here are just like a few quick tips. If your child is not eating more than five to ten different types of foods, then I absolutely think that they need an assessment from an occupational therapist who has an expertise in in feedings, like specialty. You know, I don't think a lot of moms know that this is even an option. Oftentimes, when I work with parents with picky eaters, they don't even know that that service or that therapy is even something relevant. It's often times when these children are literally so limited with the number of foods, it's a texture, it's a sensory issue. It's something that is much more holistic than just being picky and saying, sorry, I don't want that. They actually have an like a nervous system response to textures and some of these foods that they cannot eat it. And that's actually going to then overlap into other behavioral issues and developmental milestones later in life. So you actually want to get in on that ASAP. So that's my number one tip if the, the, they're just so limited. They won't touch pasta or they won't even touch a sauce because it's just the texture of it. Is, they don't like it in their mouth or they won't even touch a whole food category like meat or something. So keep an eye out for that. The other thing is just don't give up. I find a lot of moms being frustrated and I completely understand, but it's actually shocking. But the research shows that with some picky kids, it could take up to 30 times of introducing the same food for a child to be like, oh, okay, cool, I'm going to eat it. And I mean, that is just ridiculous, and yeah. it seems so wasteful. But I just like to encourage moms to try one you know, type of food at a time and cook it in all different ways. So taking a carrot, you can boil it, you can roast it, you can dip it in hummus, you can give it raw, you can slice it, you can shred it, right? There's just so many different ways to prepare, and there may be a child. Who's like, I only like shredded raw carrots and that's what he'll eat. I mean, <laughs> again, that's not necessarily ideal because we don't want short order cooks, but I just want to give you that statistic uh, or that data point that it could take a long time and just don't give up on it. You know, place it in front of that child's plate and if they just don't touch it, they don't touch it. Then don't make a big deal out of it. I think a lot of it also is we'll make big deals or we'll try to force our kids to eat certain foods. I love the principle behind, you know, you as a mom, or or a parent are in charge of maybe preparing the food, cooking the food, and then placing it in front of the child and putting it down wherever you want the controlled environment to be. And then it goes to the child. The child now is in control over how they're going to eat it and what they're going to eat and the quantity of their eating. And that's just going to be up to them. And if they choose not to eat it, they don't want to eat it, they don't want to do it, well, then sorry, you go to bed and then that's that. You know, At some point, you're going to be hungry. But you can't just be a short order cook. You can't just give in to, okay, then you get pizza again or macaroni and cheese again, and that's all they're going to eat because they're very smart kids. They'll just keep on doing that. So these are just a few tips to kind of help you. Again, I could do a whole episode just on this, but I do think it's important to try your best to kind of keep to a routine and keep to your rules because these, it is a, big deal that kids are just starting to be incredibly picky and we just have to differentiate. Is it a biological or sensory neurological type of response and then that needs something like occupational therapy or is it because the kid is just almost like running the show and denying food and now you're cooking whatever they're going to eat because you're so afraid they're actually not going to gain weight or they're not eating because they have a way of manipulating us in many (laughs) ways and so we can't give in to that. You know, We're like, well, this is what's for dinner and that's it. It could take them one or two days for them to say, okay, now I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. I'll sit down to eat. But we can't be fearful. We have to trust their body and say they're going to eat at some point. Mm -hmm. So if they go to bed and they're not going to eat what you want, well, then tomorrow, then they're just going to be hungry. And they will be, I promise. They will eat at some point. But you got to just keep on trying, giving them nutrient-dense options. And someone on Instagram, I just think is fantastic. I've been following her now and she's blowing up, is Kids Eat in Color. It's a registered dietitian who gives gives you so many great examples of how to present food to children, how to make it colorful so that they want to eat it, how to actually use language so that you're only honoring them and not, you know, having them shy away from it. So I I use
1: that resource a lot. This is it's a great dietitian who's been doing great work. Kids eat in color. Okay, we will definitely link to that. And I I might have seen something that she put out where you're talking about like we actually implement this in our own family. It's like, you know, this like purple food makes you feel makes your brain like strong or like red foods make your muscles feel really really strong like kind of connect it in language that like they understand and we oh, yes yeah like it's so much it's so much more relatable and then I will also say literally my kids are 3 and 6 and they will eat, they eat a variety of vegetables, but yet, last night at dinner, I put roasted Brussels sprouts and roasted carrots on my daughter's plate. And she up to this point has really been like, I'm not interested in that. And so it's like, okay, whatever. But we still put it on our plate at least a few bites every time. And last night she was like, I love Brussels sprouts. I love carrots. And she was asking for more. And I'm like, what is happening? And so, I mean, three years in, we're still still offering. Jess, that makes me so happy. That's like
2: my point of just don't give up. That's exactly what I keep on recommending is you just put it on their plate. If they don't eat it, they don't eat it. But there's going to be a day that they may pick it up and you're going to be shocked just like you were last night. Last night mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the kid changed their mind and now they keep on asking for it. Yeah. So don't give up on that opportunity, you know, really stay committed that like my kid will eat healthy food at some point. It may take three years, but whatever, <laughs> I'm not going to give up. And I think a big deal, and I know you do this in your family, is just role model, Yeah. you know, have them watch you eat salads, have them watch you enjoy, you know, the the Brussels sprouts and, and, and good healthy food. And I'm so against kid food. I just, I wish it never existed. <laughs> I wish there was never even any topic of that nature. You know, they just we we serve them what we eat, we eat what they eat. It's all just a family affair, and that's that. And so I, I just I think that's great. So anyway, again, I could talk about this forever. Oh yeah. But it is. It's a very important topic and one that is not easy. So I just want to mention that. And I also have a lot of high hopes that things can transition, the earlier you start. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about a 13-year-old boy, that's a very different type of therapy and how we Mm -hmm. handle that than if it's a two-year-old. You know, you still have tons that you can still implement in a younger child. And the earlier you start these new patterns and routines, by far the better you'll see outcomes
1: absolutely thank you so much again we have so many more questions i feel like maybe after kiddo comes we'll have you back on if you're up for it but i know i want to be respectful of your time and i feel like that's a good note to end it on because we kind of went through like natural remedies and illness and all that stuff and then ending it with like food as like a a basis of just really like having fun creating a solid base of nutrient density which therefore will impact health in all ways shape and form. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. How do you feel? For sure. Look, I, I mean, I love these
2: topics, <laughs> so I can answer questions all day long. I think for time's sake, let's go ahead and end, and then, yeah, we could do another part two after my baby boy comes and things get settled. I love questions from moms, because then they're curious, they want to understand things, they want to take things into their own hands, so I'm all about this. I think it's great that if you've even listened this far, that I hope that you guys <laughs> got a lot of information from this. And again, go Go ahead and and check out MedSchoolForMoms.com because there's just so much more information there that I think one day you guys may benefit from.
1: Absolutely. And just for you guys, we're going to be having a coupon code, the Modern Mamas coupon for 15% off that's going to be launching the the day this episode airs. So it should be, we'll just go ahead and put it out there. It should be good for you guys now. So if you loved what you heard and you really want to know more and you just want a go-to resource that's organized well for you when you need it, I highly, highly recommend Med School for Moms. And Dr. ramel thank you so much for being on. And can you tell everyone, again, where to find you, how to connect with you, where you're going to be sharing most of your content?
2: Yes, and I love offering discounts, so I'm more than happy to do this for you guys. <laughs> I'll
1: set it up so it expires in
2: 30 days, right? So I think we're going to air October 30th. Uh-huh. At that point, I think I'm going to have my baby. I oh mean, I'm doing God. just a couple days couple weeks, so that's going to be so much fun. And so I may or may not even be on social media, who knows. (laughs) But anyway, it'll expire then November 30th, so Mm -hmm. keep an eye out for that. And that's perfect, because that's really like cold and flu time is starting. Okay, so a couple of things is, if you're interested anytime in like a one-to-one consult with me, I am starting to take new patients in the new year. So obviously, after my maternity leave, I see patients over at Nourish Medical Center here in San Diego, but I do offer virtual consults, so that is always an option. You can check us out over at Nourish Medical Center. We're on Instagram or obviously just our website, nourishmedicalcenter.com. And then if you're interested obviously in my online teachings, that's at medschoolformoms.com. And then obviously I'm over on Instagram. I'm there pretty often. I I really love engaging on Instagram. And so I'm there at Dr. Ilana Romel. And now we're on Facebook. Facebook is kind of new to me, but I've had this private Facebook group now for well over a year. I love our private group. And now I've got an open group that you can join. And I try to do some Facebook Lives. But again, I'm going to take a break until the new year so I can be there for my for my, for my my baby. Ooh. But I do have other doctors helping me moderate that group because I obviously want to make sure moms are supported. So that's Med School for Moms over at Facebook as well.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again. And as always, if you guys love what you are listening to, please, please, please go find us on iTunes, write a review, give us a little rating. We love reading those. And, and it really just helps us get this content, which is so remarkable, into the hands of more people. You can find us on social media at laura.radicalroots and at jess.holdthespace and at Modern Mamas Podcast. And always, you can email us with questions for ideas or interviews at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. We hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you so much again, Dr. Rommel, for coming on. You got it. This is great. Love Bye. it. Have a great day, <laughs> Jess. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time.